This is recording number 10951 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 6, 2011. This is the 28th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Road to Emmaus. So we're looking at Luke chapter 24, and we're going to begin reading at verse 13. And uh, we are concluding today. This is the last day of our series of messages that has, believe it or not, been going on for nearly nine months. Wow. <laughs> um, called The Doctor's Gospel. And we've been making our way through this book that was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a medical physician, Luke, who was a, uh, a comrade, a traveling companion of uh, the Apostle Paul. And this is his treatise, his uh, record of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we've been particularly uh, looking for the heart of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And I imagined when I started asking the Lord, well, how, how should we tackle this book, Lord? What, what is it that you want us to see here? Because there is so much. I really felt like the Lord said, or, or gave me, it wasn't, wasn't words, but gave me an impression of, you know, a doctor. I could picture Dr. Luke. Now, I, I know that in his day, they did not wear, you know, uh, white lab coats, and they didn't have you know, a stethoscope around their necks that wasn't invented in, the, in those days. But I could picture Luke in his doctor getup and concerned with the most vital organ. Uh, you know, when, he, when you come to a, uh, a doctor with what ails you, one of the first things they do is check out your heart because it's the most vital organ in your body. And I can imagine Luke penning these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with this in mind. What is, the, what is the heartbeat of Jesus that we see in, in, a, in these engagements that he has with people, his words, his deeds? So that's what we've been trying to do. As we come to the 24th chapter, we uh, are introduced in the first 12 verses to the resurrection. There isn't anything in, um, in the scriptures that... Uh, turns my crank, thrills my heart more than considering the fact that my Savior rose from the dead and he did that for me. So that death in all of its forms could no longer hold me in any way. And that's true for you too. If you have come to faith in Christ as your Savior, his resurrection is yours. Not only... Does his resurrection break the power of sin? Because the power of sin is death. Not only does it break the power of sin over our lives, but makes it possible for us to have eternal life that doesn't start out there in the future someplace. That starts right now. And so I, I could go on and on about the, the resurrection of Jesus, and I love Easter and all the rest. But we're going to look at verses 13 
uh, through 35 and a, an episode that immediately follows the resurrection, often called the road to Emmaus or the story of the road to Emmaus. And we'll, as I said, begin reading at verse 13 in just a minute. So, the women um, have come to the tomb, have found it empty. They have returned to tell the disciples that uh, Jesus is no, no longer buried in, in the tomb. He's, he's, uh, they can't find him. In fact, the, there's been an, an angelic visitation. And that the angels has told uh, the women that Jesus, don't you remember what Jesus said? That on the third day he would rise. And uh, so they have communicated this to the disciples. They're not sure what to think. And uh, he, he has not revealed himself yet to Peter. Or, and he has not appeared to them in the upper room. Those events will, will happen shortly. But in this in-between state, this in-between time where Jesus' body is missing, the tomb is open, and yet we don't know what's, what's become. We don't know what to make of it. That's where we pick up this story. Verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now it says two of them. We don't know who they were except that they were disciples of Jesus, not among the twelve, but among the larger group of disciples. And we'll, we'll, we'll meet one of them by name in a, in a minute, but one of them remains completely anonymous to us. We don't know who the second guy was, but neither of them were among the twelve. And they walked together, excuse me, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was... While they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Can you imagine being with Jesus in person? They were with him. And he wasn't a stranger to them. They had been following him all around uh, Palestine and, and listening to him preach and watching him heal and all of these things for uh, perhaps as, long as uh, the full three years of his earthly ministry. And now he's with them, but they don't recognize him. With him, but they don't know him. <coughs> And I, I want to pose this question to you. Have you ever found yourself with Jesus, but not knowing him? Sensing his, his presence and yet distant from him somehow? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Verse 17. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart. Would you say those three words with me? Slow of heart. To believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, that means the books of Moses, the first five books in the Old Testament, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He led them as they walked together these seven miles from Jerusalem to uh, Emmaus, he led them in a Bible study of the Old Testament scriptures and showed them those verses, those passages, those sections of the scripture that pointed to exactly what was being fulfilled in their time, the things concerning him. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further. In other words, he he acted as though he was going to keep going, that this was not his final destination. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. In other words, it's too late to be traveling. Take note of this. They say to him, Stay with us because it's too late to keep traveling. And uh, verse 30, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened And they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven and those who were with them gathered. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So the other disciples are sharing the news with Cleopas and the other guy. And saying that Simon has had a visitation from the risen Lord. Peter, that's who that is. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. Cleopas and and his partner tell the other, the eleven, the disciples of the things that happened to them as they traveled to Emmaus. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. All right, let's go back and walk our way through these verses and just uh, make a few points before we receive communion together. First of all, I've already noted that their eyes were closed. Verse 16 says their eyes were restrained. And that word means uh, to use strength. It It was as though they were trying to close their eyes. It wasn't the kind of um, eye closure that happens when you know, your eyelids get heavy and you kind of just close them. Or when you blink. Or it was, they were closing their eyes. It says 
that their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Why was that? I mean, I mean it wasn't that they were physically closing your eyes, you, their eyes, you know that. But they were blinding themselves to the presence of the Savior. Why was that? How could that even happen? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. And you can take a look at uh, verse 21. It says, but we were hoping that. And then they describe what they were hoping for. Now, I'm wondering if any of you, I, I didn't ask you to raise your hand earlier, but I said how many of you have ever found yourself in a place where, or in a situation where, you knew there was a presence there, and yet you were not connected to it. Somehow you were distanced from the presence of the Lord. There was something separating you from Him. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, that which separates you from Him, there is no separation between you and Him, because sin has been taken out of the way. But I can tell you that it can feel that way. And, and it can feel that way when you put your agenda on Jesus. When you want him to be a certain way. When you want him to do a certain thing. You see, we were hoping that he would do this. Now, have you ever found yourself in that situation? I have. I took a church once that I, I shouldn't have. And when it, when it didn't work out the way I thought it would, I could have said this word for word. But Lord, I was hoping that you would. And that whole time when I was trying to impose my agenda on Jesus, it did feel as though there was something separating me from him. There's something in the way between us. I was not experiencing his presence in the way that I had previously, in the way that I would again once that obstacle got out of the way, in the way that I knew that I should. He was with me. I know that because the Bible promises that he will never leave me or forsake me. And yet I was not experiencing that because I was putting my agenda on him. And boy, we hold on tightly to our agenda. It's like, isn't it? I don't want to hear or see anything else. This is what I want. This is when I want it. This is how I want it done. And Jesus, I'm hoping you're going to do this. Problem is, we miss him when we do that. Their eyes were closed. But then, Jesus begins to open the word to them. And he's, it's as though he takes the scriptures and says, Look, let's put aside your agenda. Let's find out what God's is. What is God's plan here? And he starts from 
Moses and works his way through. But what I want you to see is that if you find yourself in that place where you feel, you feel there's something between you and God, you feel distant from God, it can very well be, dear one, that you've gotten yourself in this loop of trying to impose your agenda on him. The antidote, the cure for that is this. And that's why we make such a big deal around here about the Word of God. That's why we are constantly encouraging you to find your way into this book. Because when you know God's agenda and your heart opens to that, you know Him. You know Him. So they get to, to the village and, you know, they, he, Jesus is planning to move on. Um, but they, they beg him to stay. And when it says they constrained him, to, uh, at least in the New King James, the word that's translated, our English word here is constrained. But behind that is a more, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a very proactive kind of word. It was as though they were begging him. They were, they were intent on making sure that he didn't leave them. And I want you to notice that later when they're recounting, after he disappears, and they're recounting the events that have transpired and thinking back about that time on the road when he was opening the scriptures to them, it said, they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn? When Jesus was opening the word to us and our agenda was crumbling before his, giving way to his, didn't something come alive in my heart, in our heart, your heart? Didn't something come to flame? The word uh, burn there is the word for kindle. The, it's like the starting of something. Not the full-blown, not, not the full-blown uh, you know, campfire, but the starting. It wasn't something starting to to flame out and or flame up in us as he was talking about his word and his agenda. We couldn't let, and you know, they didn't say this, but you can read between the lines, they couldn't let him go. This was something that was far more important than anything else. We had to have him. We had to have him. Dear one, have you reached that place in your life where you have to have him? There's nothing like it. When the Lord himself begins to reveal to you his will, his purposes, and your role in it, oh, something comes alive in your heart. And it's interesting here because when it's, it says then that he, he sits down with them to a meal, breaks bread, and then their eyes were opened. Now, Nobody knows for sure why, why that triggered it, why the breaking of bread triggered it. Some people will say because it's, it's, you know, it triggered a memory of the Last Supper of the, when Jesus served his disciples on the night of his betrayal. But these guys weren't there. Uh, maybe it was because of the way that he, he took the role 
that would have been the host's role. You know, he, he, he asserted himself in a way that you normally wouldn't. If you were visiting a person's home, that person would break the bread and serve you. It was kind of a ritual about it. But Jesus asserted himself in a position of authority. Maybe that was it. We don't know. What we do know is that their eyes were opened. That's what it says. And the word open there is wide open. It's like... <laughs> Hold that, honey. I'll take <laughs> No. And get this. It literally means, that word is literally the opening of the birth canal. That's, 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 the, that's what's used when the firstborn opens the birth canal. That kind of that opening that gives, that, that uh, makes life come forth. There, in that moment, whatever it was that triggered it, and who cares, you know, whatever it was, their eyes were opened and life began to, to pour out in their lives in a way that hadn't before. And they knew him. Now when it says that they, they knew him, there's, there's three times that this phrase is used. It says they are, uh, it's used in this way. Verse 16, it says that their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. And then, uh, when they're in, in verse 31, it says, Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then, in verse 35, when they were talking to the disciples after having returned to Jerusalem, it says, He was known to them in the breaking of bread. The first two uses of, of know there, that word, is a word that means recognized. Oh, oh, oh. I recognize you. First, first use was they didn't recognize him. Then the bread is broken. Oh, oh, it's you. They recognize him. But then, in the third time, when they have s sorted all this out, at least in part, and they've returned to Jerusalem and they talk to the disciples about it, they, it says there that they knew him in the breaking of, of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And, and that time, it's a different word. That time, it's the word that's used for, for the husband and wife relationship when they know each other intimately. It's a depth of knowing. And it implies relationship. It's not just, I recognize you. I've seen you before. I know who you are. It's, I know you. That lady sitting right there, I'd recognize her anywhere because I've slept next to her for 37, almost 38 years. I, re I recognize her without her hair dye. <laughs> it's okay. <I> <laughs> I recognize her. I recognize her voice. I recognize her style. I recognize her. But can I also tell you, I know her. That's something else. And that's what these guys experienced that day on the road to Emmaus. 
they experienced a knowing of Jesus that they hadn't experienced before. First, they didn't recognize him because they were closing him out. They had their own agenda and he wasn't fulfilling their, their agenda. But as the Lord began to open his word to them and show them his agenda for their lives, they recognized him. But that wasn't the end of it. In the breaking of bread, something happened that caused them to know him. And I think it's indicated, one of the indications of, of this remarkable transformation is they could not stay where they were. I mean, the whole argument to Jesus about why he shouldn't continue on, why he should stay the night with them, is because it was late in the day and it was dangerous to be traveling at night. But once their eyes were opened, they couldn't stay, the, stay where they were. It says that night, they traveled the seven miles back to Jerusalem. Listen, when you come to that place where your eyes are opened... You've laid aside your agenda and embraced his. And you've come to that place where you want to know him. And are experiencing him for who he really is. You cannot stay where you are. It will change you. It will change everything about you. How many of you experienced that? We're going to receive communion now. And I, I know I'm kind of imposing something on the scriptures here, but um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a, some sort of gross violation. I think it's certainly what we have just read at least prefigures this. But as we receive of the bread and the cup this morning, my prayer is that he would be made known to you in the breaking of bread. Let's not let this be just another time when we've taken the Eucharist or communion. Let's let him reveal himself to us in the breaking of bread.